Hello, everyone, and welcome to JP Morgan's Global Data Pod. I am Nora Santivani, and joining me today are Michael Hansen and Greg Fuzeshi. Welcome, both of you. Hello. Hi. Hey, so in today's research wrap, we want to talk about the tightening in credit conditions that has taken hold globally in the last couple of quarters. How severe is it? Should we be worried about it? And what does it mean for central bank policy? I mean, so one thing that strikes me off the bat is that, you know, despite all this talk of banking stress and tightening credit conditions and rising debt burdens for households. When we look at the actual data, activity data and growth data, those are still pretty solid. You know, the PMIs we've, we've had are consistent with global growth at you know, roughly 3%-ish pace as we go through the second quarter. So that's only a modest slowing from the first quarter. This, of course, doesn't mean we won't see any slowdown uh, from the credit channel. I and mean, we know that monetary policy works with long and variable lags and the rate hikes we have seen have been very aggressive in a short space of time. We've had roughly 400 basis points in rate hikes from developed market central banks and almost 500 basis points from emerging market central banks. So clearly there are concerns over credit tightening and those concerns have grown following the collapse of several regional US banks, a large European bank back in March. And the fear was, of course, that this would drive a sharp contraction in credit that might lead to a credit crunch. So relative to that, what are we actually seeing in the data? Well, we have several ways of tracking this. I think you know one of the more direct ways we've, we've liked tracking it is through the quarterly bank lending surveys, which have garnered a lot of market attention recently and you know these are surveys of banks that are conducted quarterly and banks are basically asked about the degree of tightening in their standards terms on loans as well as the demand for loans over the past three uh, months so these are loans to households and businesses so if we think about these bank lending surveys mike starting with the u.s uh, the Fed uh, released its senior loan officer opinion survey uh, just this Monday. Um, I mean, it's fair to say that we went into this report, I think, expecting to see some impact from the March SVB collapse. What did we actually get? Was it as bad as feared? Is there anything in the report telling us that we should be worried about uh, some sort of disruptive financial market event? What were the main takeaways for you? From the, from the US survey? Sure, thanks, Nora. So uh, I think there's two very high level themes uh, that touch on the set of questions you asked. I think the first is credit conditions look fairly tight. They certainly look to be uh, signaling that we're in the midst of an ongoing credit contraction. Um, so they, you know, they're at levels that obviously in, in past cycles have been somewhat concerning, right? So that, that remains true even with the most recent survey. But I think the second piece and the important uh, kind of interpretation in a, in a post-SVB and post-regional bank crisis world for the U.S. is, while we don't actually have consensus forecasts of what people thought the slews might you know, have been, um, and we did have Powell, uh, uh, Fed Chair Powell signal that there was you know, some further tightening in chain, the actual move up in the most recent survey, which was conducted between March 27th and April 7th, so it basically captures the first quarter, but was certainly after 
the intense period of, of banking crisis in the US, didn't actually show a lot of additional tightening. These surveys are always a little bit tricky to interpret because they're kind of second derivatives to begin with, right? Mm. But there, I think there was an expectation that we were going to see a notable further pickup in tightening. Uh, if you look at the degree of tightening for uh, commercial industrial lending, for example, it's still uh, notably below what we saw in the last couple of uh, prior recessions, including the global financial crisis. Um, and while you've seen even weaker signs in demand, the one exception to that was actually consumer demand looked a little bit less weak uh, relative, uh, less it's less weakening uh, relative to what we had seen for the, uh, the, the fourth quarter um, of last year, right? I think it's worth remembering that these things have been tightening now for a couple quarters, right? So this is yes. not something that happened just with the onset of the financial crisis, um, or financial crisis, wrong word, with the, the recent uh, regional banking crisis. But uh, nonetheless, you did not see this intensification. And there's some other survey data in the U.S. we can talk about as well. For example, a small business survey that also seemed to suggest that maybe things did not intensify um, in terms of tightening credit conditions recently. Mm. Right. So just staying with the, the bank lending survey, um, I mean, where in the survey would we have expected the banking stresses to show up? Um, we know that the, the the stresses we saw in March were kind of concentrated in the small and medium-sized banks, the U.S. regional banks. Did we see anything specific to, um, you know, those those smaller or regional banks that were affected by the stresses in the survey? Can we really gauge anything from the survey about these differences, perhaps um, along the lines of, you know, the size of the banks that were affected? Yeah, no, it's a good question. So the, um, the Fed survey basically has two groupings. One is kind of large banks, but large banks is defined pretty broadly, anything above $50 billion in assets, domestic assets, and then other banks, which is kind of everybody else. It's worth noting that there's, there's only 63 banks in total in the survey, and it's split about half between those two groups. Uh, within that, that larger group, the Fed did not separate the data further, but did have a little bit of commentary about how if you look at banks between 50 billion and 250 billion versus those at 250 billion or over, it was the former group that that medium sized, if you will, mid sized 50 to 250 that saw notably uh, stronger moves towards tighter conditions and, and greater concern uh, around the outlook for credit, right. And so that's kind of consistent, because if you think about where the regional bank failures were in the US, they were relatively large regional banks. So they're going to fall into that broader category. Now, that said, you did see um, some evidence of, of tightening also amongst the smaller banks. So the Fed survey is not just an up-down survey. They actually ask where you see you know, some tightening or considerable tightening. And you didn't see considerable tightening uh, in the last couple of quarters amongst the large banks, but you did see it amongst yeah. these other banks, these smaller banks. Mm, um, yeah. By and, and large, I think, I think, just to finish up the thought, sorry, by and large, I think you're seeing both these, these mid-sized banks in the kind of anecdotal discussion the Fed and these smaller banks in the actual data that we get suggesting somewhat greater stress. Yeah, and um, I mean, to, to that point, we've also noted that, you know, the fact that none of the large banks are tightening considerably currently is, is a bit of a contrast to what we saw in prior recessions and, and financial crises. So I think that's also interesting. Uh, aspect of it. All right, so maybe we shift a little bit to the euro area, Greg. 
to pull you into the discussion. Uh, so I know you had a somewhat more upbeat expectation for the Euro Area Bank Lending Survey going into it on the basis that, you know, we were starting to see fading of the energy related drags in the Euro Area data and that was somehow going to reassure banks about Know, credit quality and somehow we were going to get an easing off in this tightening of the lending standards. So what did we actually get and, and where were you perhaps surprised by the survey? Yeah, I mean, what we got was uh, something that wasn't pretty. Um, I mean, we got a, a, a tightening in lending standards, which was similar to the prior quarter. Um, and we got uh, a very weak reading on the demand for loans, um, especially for households, but also, for, I mean, corporate one as well. You can quibble a bit with the corporate one because um, uh, the question about why companies were demanding fewer loans, you know, the, the existence of internal funds played a role there. Um, but overall, it was weak on both the demand side and the supply side. Um, now, the bank lending survey is always a bit tricky to interpret. Um, I mean, as Mike said, it's, you know, it, it looks at changes rather than levels. Um, you know, we, we did have an easy level of financing conditions um, in the past. And in Europe, we also had uh, the issue of the expected energy recession. Um, you know, we had a huge increases in energy prices last, um, last summer and, um, big concerns about uh, the need for rationing energy during the winter and in that kind of environment especially with the PMI falling to very low levels um, you know during the fourth quarter it's it's reasonable for banks to become more cautious um, about their lending behavior uh, out of fear of, of uh, credit quality issues. Um, now the, the, the bank lending survey was conducted 22nd of March to the 6th of April, um, and it was published almost four weeks later. So it's not like, uh, you know, very up to date, um, given how much, how much the banking stresses have ebbed and flowed. And the question is about the prior three months. Um, I mean, if you ask banks about what they did with their lending standards in the three months until late March, I mean, you were still in the middle of the kind of the concerns around um, the, the whole energy crisis. So it's a bit hard to interpret um, uh, in terms of, you know, like how, how, how negative a signal we should take away from this going forward. I was perhaps just a bit impatient. Um, uh, you know, the, P the PMI does correlate with lending standards and lending standards should have improved somewhat in the sense that the, the net tightening should mm. have become less. Um, but the relationship isn't that tight that you can pin that down, you know, to the quarter. So the fact that the PMI yeah. has increased further still suggests some improvement, uh, but we may only see that in the in the next round of the survey. Um, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're suggesting that even these bank lending surveys are a bit a bit dated. Um, which is true, but do we have anything better to go by um, specifically on on credit, I mean, we could, of course, just look at credit growth directly, right? But even that is what for March or um, probably the latest yeah, that, that's, monthly that's data smart. we have are for March. And yeah, so what that, are the what are the smart. what are the credit growth data suggesting? I mean, is it broadly consistent with this sort of slowing, but nothing 
nothing too severe, no signs of stress or? Well, I mean, the slowing in the actual lending numbers has been, um, has been sharp. Um, I mean, from reasonably firm levels, um, but that's something that has actually been uh, occurring over the last, you know, six to nine months. So it's not like a something that's happened very, very suddenly, but it has been abrupt um, in historical context. Mm -hmm. So a sharper decline than you would have seen um, in prior kind of uh, downturn episodes. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the change in the interest rate environment has obviously also been very abrupt. Um, so yeah. it's likely that there is, you know that that will have some impact on on actual lending demand especially the the abruptness of the change in interest rates you know households and firms may need a bit of time to reassess their plans and what we have seen is over the last couple of months um, a bit of stabilization in the flow of of credit at low levels uh, but nevertheless you know the the weakness hasn't fed on itself um, but I mean, from the ECB's perspective, I mean, clearly you're seeing um, kind of three things. The bank lending survey pointing to tightening, the bank lending survey pointing to weak demand, and then the actual bank lending numbers looking weak. So, yeah. Yeah, look, that, so I mean, it, from what both you and Mike are saying, it feels like um, obviously this abrupt change in interest rates that we've had, you know, very aggressive hikes over a short space of time is driving changes in lending standards and demand, but there's limited signs of stress and banks are generally in good shape, save for some of these smaller um, US regional banks. Um, okay, I mean, to round out things, should we talk a little bit about EM and, and what we're seeing there? And I'm happy to uh, volunteer on that one. So look, I mean, EM has, I think, received a little bit less scrutiny on these surveys just because this hasn't really been an EM-centric banking crisis. EM assets have, you know, largely shrugged off the impact of the, of the stresses we've seen in the US and, and Europe. Um, the surveys are nonetheless, um, you know, telling us something similar to what, what you've described for uh, Euro area and US, as one would expect, we are seeing further tightening in EM lending standards, falling loan demand, and that has now persisted for a year. Uh, so this is pointing to continued worsening in EM bank lending dynamics. I would say on average, the conditions on both EM loan supply uh, and the fall in demand is uh, less tight and less severe than what we've seen during the pandemic and, and the GFC. And also the tightening in EM lending standards has been less severe than what we've seen in the, the G4 uh, bank lending surveys. But I think there's really important to highlight the country and regional divergences across EM. So that it's clearly not homogeneous. What we're seeing is that most of the tightening is concentrated in Latin America and EM Europe, particularly the C3 countries, whereas uh, lending conditions in Asia are actually still very easy. So it, it's actually easing rather than tightening at this point. And, you know, I would say this divergence not really surprising it, it broadly mirrors the, the differences in the macroeconomic backdrops. EM Asia has had much more modest hiking cycles uh, relative to the other two EM regions and the less dire you know, growth inflation mix coming into 2023. So that's supported banks' risk tolerance and, and household and business sentiment. If you look at the kind of 
uh, you know, we have this kind of proxy for changes in loan growth. If you look at the difference between the demand and um, lending standards from these surveys, they are pointing to continued slowdown in, in loan growth uh, across CM. And, you know, the biggest drag uh, seems to be coming in Latin America at this point where actually the tightening intensified in Q1. Whereas I think both of you were describing a little bit of pullback in some of the the, the tightening in the standards. So LATAM was the, was the region in EM where uh, that tightening actually intensified. Uh, whereas in EM Europe, for example, things are pretty tight, but there seem, seems like the falling loan demand has eased off a little bit. So potentially the worst might be um, behind us. Um, just to name a couple of countries, you know, Colombia, Chile, Czech Republic are you know, some of the, the countries where we see the most severe tightening. Uh, in the Q1 surveys. All right, so maybe we should talk a little bit about the growth impact from all of this. Um, you know, as as we've we've highlighted, it looks like some of these bank lending surveys are already showing almost recession-like tightening. Um, but none of this has really prevented final demand from holding up in the first quarter, as I mentioned. So, uh, Mike, in the U.S., we had the Q1 GDP report, which showed uh, consumer spending was a key driver of growth. It was up, what, something like three and a half percent. So how do we square this with this tightening in, in credit conditions? Um, is it more about timing and what should we expect from here? Um, is this credit tightening more or less of a drag than what sort of built into our forecast? What's your sense? Sure. So just one thing to clarify, generally speaking, uh, uh, the credit conditions did tighten in the slews uh, this time around, right? Um, and what I think is is notable and gets to the question you're asking is the, the tightening was particularly pronounced in, in, for example, commercial real estate, right? And this is something that people have been flagging that it's a place where the smaller banks in the US, the regional banks play a much larger role. Um, and that's certainly a place where uh, you know, there's structural headwinds because of what's happened kind of post COVID in terms of you know, occupancy rates for office buildings and whatnot. Um, so that's an important you know, piece to kind of keep in mind there. But if we step back from that, you know, broadly speaking, I think there had been a lot of concern, uh, and I would argue it's, it's priced to some extent in the market, certainly the U.S. rates market and expectations for the Fed to be cutting fairly soon, that you were going to get uh, spillovers from what's happening in some of these other banks to a broader kind of financial crisis. Um, and while, you know, there certainly is a tail risk there, I suppose, it's not what we think is most likely. Um, we've been saying for a little while that we think that with the you know, cumulative 500 now basis points of Fed tightening, you were going to get a gradual building drag uh, as the monetary transmission mechanism really builds. And of course, important channel of monetary transmission is through the credit channel, right? So we think that in the near term, you've gotten some strength in the data, in the activity data, as you mentioned, uh, in part because you've got fading drags, right? So inflation has come off, fiscal situation uh, looks a little bit more favorable. Um, you know, confidence numbers actually show a little bit of recovery. So, you know, there's a number of factors that are giving some near-term lift to the economy. And it's against, as we've emphasized many times, a backdrop of relative resiliency, right? So it's not a situation in which, for example, you have very elevated debt levels, uh, you have actually um, a lot of cash on hand in both the corporate and household space, um, you've got, you know, fairly healthy balance sheets. So even in the event of some tightening, that spillover to the economy is likely to be somewhat less, right? Yeah. So we think that overall, it's consistent with the idea in our baseline case that the U.S. slipping into a mild recession by the end of the year, as in part, this credit uh, tightening becomes more salient over the second half of the year and some of these fading drags become less potent uh, as time moves on. Mm. 
Okay. And Greg, for the year area, I mean, it looks like growth is actually rebounding now in the second quarter. <laughs> How are you thinking about the additional restraint from tighter credit and what what that's delivering to the to the real economy? Yeah, I mean, you know, tighter credit is not the only thing that's going on in our space because we also have the fading energy drag and that's a clear lift uh, in the near term. That's right. Um, yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, I mean, I mean, the, you know, turning the, the bank lending survey into a percentage point impact on growth is is always hard. Um, and especially at the moment, there are these questions around the, the timing um, of the survey itself. And, um, you know, it was about Q1, what banks did in Q1, but that didn't stop the PMI increasing further in April. That might be a bit too cute with the with the timing issue. Um, but, um, you know, our forecast does try to incorporate the impact of monetary tightening, um, and that's clearly been a big swing factor. Where we're more reluctant is to um, put a lot more on top of that on the basis of the bank lending survey. So I think mm -hmm. the, the bank lending survey probably reflects the, the, the size and the abruptness of the change in the monetary policy backdrop. Um, but it's not entirely clear that banks are amplifying that through a unusually large behavioral response. I mean, you know, we, we've spoken to our, our uh, colleagues in, in, in uh, credit and equity research on the banking side. And, you know, there are big differences between what's going on in the US and what's going on in Europe in terms of the, the regulatory framework, the supervisory framework. Uh, the position of the banks. Um, there clearly are <clears throat> issues around profitability, but in terms of um, the solidity of the banking system, that doesn't seem to be a big issue at the moment. Similarly, commercial real estate, the exposure there is much more regulated, um, more spread out, um, and and uh, le less of a of a direct issue. Um, so. You know, a monetary drag as similar to what Mike described will build over time because the ECB is still on the move and hasn't finished its hiking cycle yet. Um, but it's it's not the case that we're we're looking at a crunch. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in EM, <clears throat> it's clear that some countries and, and regions, again, in LATAM and C3 space are are feeling the pinch from, you know, all this aggressive hikes. Remember in EM, some of these hiking cycles started a good one year before the Fed even um, got going with its own hike. So there's been sufficient time for a lot of these hikes to gain traction and, and pass through to domestic demand conditions. So we are you know, starting to see private consumption in quite a few of these countries actually contracting already in the past quarter or so. Uh, credit growth as well has slowed to the single um, uh, low single digits in real terms. So, uh, and certainly, as I said, what we're seeing in the bank lending surveys is consistent with further slowing in credit growth. So all that, you know, makes us pretty comfortable with this uh, subpar growth forecast that we have in both LATAM and, and, and the C4 uh, region, you know, of around 1% this year. Obviously, Asia is getting the lift from the China reopening. Um, the tech sector seems to be bottoming out. So there's going to be a little bit of lift there. And Asia was anyway less affected by the, um, the, you know, the tightening through the credit channel just because they've hiked rates less and inflation has been more benign. So there's certainly a bit of 
you know, regional differentiation here, but there's nothing here suggesting that we need to be a lot more, uh, you know, pessimistic on the on the growth outlook relative to what we already have, which is um, a fairly downbeat outlook for for both LATAM and EMEA. All right, so maybe we can end on just some final thoughts on how central banks are perhaps reacting to what they're seeing in this space in, in credit conditions and the bank lending surveys. It feels like at uh, this point, there's a little bit of differentiation between the Fed's reaction and, and the ECB's reaction to, uh, to the tightening. Um, so maybe, uh, Mike, you want to start us off on how you think the, the Fed is now factoring this into its, its reaction function and um, maybe what would maybe prompt the Fed to get surprised by um, anything it's seeing in the, in the credit space. Right. So, I mean, it does feel like the Fed, um, at least the Fed perceives that they're a bit further along in the process and perhaps the ECB is, I'll, I'll let Greg comment on that, right? So you've had, you know, the Fed kind of signal that maybe they are already at a sufficiently restrictive stance. Um, you know, you've got 500 basis points of cumulative rate hikes, as we mentioned, uh, and you are seeing some signs of cooling in the data, right? So the inflation numbers today still solid, um, but uh, kind of in line with consensus, the labor market numbers showing you know, maybe some signs of cooling in, in, in some parts, although I would argue wage growth is still strong. So you know, we still think that the Fed's rate hike in, in May was the last one, but there's some risk that the data may show some strength, something that the global team has been flagging for a while uh, that could get the Fed to potentially have to hike a bit further. The, what's happening, though, in the credit space kind of mediates that. Um, you had going into um, the March uh, FOMC meeting, Powell actually testifying for Congress and kind of hinting at maybe the Fed would go 50 in that meeting and maybe they'd have to revise up their expectations for the terminal rate. And then, of course, literally days later, SBB blew up uh, and you had a, just got a broader set of uh, uh, weakness in the banking sector. And then when the next we heard from the Fed, there was basically the substitution away from rate hikes towards the idea of the credit tightening would do some of the work. Again, that translation, much like as, as Greg said, the translation between bank lending surveys and, and into what it means for, for growth is tricky. So too it is between credit tightening and, and the impact upon what the Fed is going to do. But basically, it sounds like Fed officials are assuming that a lot of the work will be done on their behalf by the, by the banking sector. So I think they're obviously going to keep a very close eye on how these things evolve. Uh, the other, of course, wild card for the Fed that we won't get into any detail about is the debt limit. Um, and that's probably a factor that's even more weighing on them in the near term, as it looks like the, uh, the deadline for a decision could be early June. So I, I think it's this trade-off between the data and these other sources of drag. And I think the one that's going to persist, assuming the debt limit does get resolved in a, in a somewhat timely manner, even if it's very noisy, is uh, just how extensive the credit drag is going to be. Um, and so that is keeping, I think, the Fed... Uh, likely on hold for, for a while. Mm. Obviously, it intensifies uh, into something much more severe, then you could start talking about Fed rate cuts. And that, I think, is what the market has in mind. We just don't think that's likely right now. Yeah, so, I mean, it feels like the, the Fed is in a slightly easier position at this juncture, given that it's already taken rates to restrictive territory. It can probably just sit back a little bit and watch watch the data. For the ECB, I don't think it's as simple, right, Greg? Because they're clearly not as restrictive on their policy stance as, as the Fed is. So it feels like they definitely need more work to do, but they're now entering this period where perhaps this credit channel is starting to, or, or will eventually start to bite. And then of course you have quite high inflation. So how are they thinking about this trade-off and how are they gonna navigate it in the next few months? 
Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, the only thing that happened last week is that they slowed the pace of hikes. Um, <clears throat> the signal about the terminal rate wasn't clear. Um, I mean, you can read into the decision last week that you know they they are sensitive to the credit space and more than than I thought. I thought that the the pickup in growth and the upside surprises that we've had on on the inflation and wage side would offset um, the the more uh, you know the, the news about the the, uh, the policy transmission and, and credit, um, but they reacted quite strongly to that now without necessarily changing the end point of where they'll end up. But clearly, the, the, the longer you take to get to your destination, the bigger the chance that something derails you along the way. Um, so, yeah, it, it just the whole thing just gets dragged out. Um, but we do think that, um, you know, growth will be firmer in the middle of the year, um, in line with the PMIs that we've had for April. Um, that the credit issues will build, but not uh, as quickly as suggested by the last uh, bank lending survey. So perhaps the, the improvement of the PMI will have an impact on the next lending survey result. Um, and we think that on the nominal side, inflation and, and wages will continue to push them. Um, so they are yeah. still heading to a 375 terminal rate, possibly even higher. Um, but it's... Uh, you know, it's going to be a, a slightly more torturous journey in terms of watching the data along the way. <laughs> yeah, we don't envy you, Greg. Uh, no. Yeah. All right. So more challenging for the ECB. I think for emerging market central banks, they're in a bit of a limbo right now, but it's not a particularly bad limbo to be in. Uh, they have largely, uh, you know, stopped hiking at this point, but they're still pretty hawkish. I think it's this combination of still resilient growth, sticky core inflation, desire to re-anchor inflation expectations. So that's all preventing a dovish shift at this point, even with the slowing in credit growth and um, the weakening in domestic demand conditions in some countries that we're seeing. I think provided the Fed is in fact on a pause, again, I do think domestic developments will become increasingly important in driving yeah, monetary policy decisions from here. And I think that means we'll see more of a differentiation across uh, countries. Um, we still have a couple of central banks uh, hiking in the, in the very near term this month, uh, mainly in Asia, South Africa. But we do see scope for rate cuts in the second half of the year. And these are precisely in the countries where I think the bank lending surveys are highlighting this, uh, you know, either a very sharp fall off in demand or a very um, sharp tightening in, in lending standards. And, you know, again, these would be uh, some of the C3 countries. So we do have rate cuts in Hungary and then some of the Latin, Latin countries like Chile and Peru, I think, I think will follow. So these are where countries where the, the rate hikes have seen the most traction, again, to lending conditions and domestic demand. So EM is a little bit of a more differentiated uh, picture. All right, so I think that's probably a good time to, um, place to wrap things up. Uh, thank you very much to both uh, Greg and Mike for joining me. Uh, thank you to our listeners for listening to the Global Data Pod, and we hope to continue the conversation on the next episode.